everybody. Welcome to What's on Joe Mind Special Edition 86. And uh, I think it's 86, but we'll we'll go with it if it's not. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Irizarry. We are a fan cast about the world of G.I. Joe. Uh, joining me here in the top row, uh, our comic book aficionado, Racktime Rob. Hi, everybody. And in the bottom row, uh, star of stage, screen, and vaudeville, uh, he's Brian Lower, Hood of Cobra Commander 788. Greetings, everyone. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, I mean, really, you've been around enough the last couple of weeks. They're going to start thinking you you run the place. Yeah, then let, let's put the kibosh on that right now. I have no authority here whatsoever. They didn't even give me the the uh, the, the official badge to swipe in at the the badge reader at the front door. I got to sign in with the security guy every time. You're on a first name basis with him, but he you got to sign. He's got to sign you in. That's why we like Rusty. He does the job. Our special guest today, uh, you know him, you love him. Actually, you might not know him yet, uh, but he is... Uh, the, Get the to know me. Right. The man behind Power Comics and the upcoming Super Joe Unlimited comic. Austin Huff is with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. Hey, it, it is no problem, man. Uh, glad we're finally able to, to sit down and and talk to you rather than play phone tag and swap messages and and all that other good stuff. Yep. But uh, Austin, you're you're caused a little bit of a stir a, a few maybe maybe about six weeks ago now. Yeah, at least a couple months, right? What uh, when when you made a, a vague reference to GI Joe on your Super Joe oh. Facebook page, and man, that that uh, that that got a little out of hand, didn't it? You know what, Mike? The internet's got an internet, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because when I was able to get the Super Joe property, uh, the first thing I thought of, because I'm so big into tributes and homages, and I had worked with Bob Hall previously on my comic series, The Masters. So I reached out to him and said, hey, man, remember that G.I. Joe cover you did back in 82? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. I said, well, I want you to recreate it, but with these Super Joe characters. And I had to explain to him what I was looking to do. And he was all in. And I'm thinking, this is great. Now, as God is my witness, okay, I had no idea what was going on with the A Real American Hero comic property or IDW. I had no, I had no clue what was going on. I was just so excited that I was able to get the original artist on, for me, the most iconic G.I. Joe cover of all time and have him recreate, pay tribute to himself with the Super Joe characters. I mean, how cool is that? Right. So I throw up an image of Marvel Comics, G.I. Joe, a real American hero number four cover. And, you, man, you'd think that I, like, you know, punch Santa Claus in the face. <laughs> It was like, who the heck are you? How did you get the ARH property? Um, you better bring Larry Hama back. Right. Um, just on and on and on. And I found myself sitting at my computer, like right here where I'm talking to you guys, and I'm going to type a response. And I'm sitting there like, nah. <laughs> nah. I'm going to let Twitter tweet and I'm going to let Facebook do what they do and on and on and on. 
and I let the internet do, I, and I kept to my promise. I said, I'm going to announce like next Tuesday or Wednesday, I forget what it was, what's going on. <laughs> and I just sat back and I just got the popcorn and I just watched the world go crazy. And to think <laughs> that, that a, a little guy like me had that much influence on something, it was kind of cool for the couple of days it was going on. Right. You got to love that free marketing, man. You, you have to, but you know, here's what I found. I found that the fan base for a real American hero comic books, uh, you know, besides the action figures, but for the comic books, the fan base for the comic books is absolutely rabid, mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely rabid. So I didn't just let that go unnoticed guys. I started doing some research into a real American hero artists, pencilers, inkers, colorists, letterers, uh, all the creators. And I started reaching out to these guys. And I said, listen, I know you were doing this for IDW or you did it for Marvel in the 80s or the 90s or whoever you were working for. I probably contacted, and I'm not even kidding, probably close to 20 to 24 different creators Nice. To ask them if they were interested in some capacity to working on Super Joe. Some guys said, you know what, I'm, I really don't feel it. I, I don't want to do anymore. Some guys said, I'd love to, but they were too busy. And then I got a good, you know, I want to say eight to 12 guys that said, I'd love to be involved. So that's what I did. I went out. Because I thought if I could bring the Super Joe story to life, but with a real American hero vibe or feel in some way, whether it's through the colors or the letters or the storytelling somehow, right? Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to be able to take this and we're going to cross different generations and different toy lines and different comic book lines. So the first guy that I hired was um, Jim Brown, who has colored probably close to 200 issues of a real American hero for IDW. Uh, interior pages, covers. I mean, to me, this guy is as synonymous with a real American hero in the last 10, 15 years as Larry is. Because you grab an issue of, you know, a real American hero like this one I, I, I brought back from uh, uh, Joe Fest last weekend. Um, you know, this is a Robert Atkins cover. Uh, you know, here's here's another one. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, Jim, can you do this for me on Super Joe? And he's like, absolutely. So there's a vibe there. You know, and then I reach out to guys like Robert Atkins and Ron Joseph and Brian Shearer. And I say, hey, guys, can uh, can you guys contribute like alternate covers to the book? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. So all of a sudden I've got these, you know, alums from IDW and A Real American Hero because I'm looking at all the comments. And it's like, man, the fans of G.I. Joe, I really want them to come over and love Super Joe the way I do. And what's the best way to do it? I mean, let's all get together for a party, right? Right. I'm going to invite your friends and my friends and his friends, and we're all going to become new friends. 
And that's and that's how I put it together. And I worked with some old. I've already been working with some old Marvel artists from the '80s, like Jeff Isherwood and Bob Hall. And they're in there, like, hey, you know what? We're in for sketch cards. We're into ink. We're into do covers. Whatever you want. So, you know, Super Joe is kind of, and, and I take this comment very personally when I say this. They're kind of like the redheaded stepchild of GI Joe. One of them, yeah. One yeah. of them, right. But they are from the time in my youth where I was collecting Migos and Adventure Team had just, you know, phased out. Uh, Mattel's Big Jim was huge. So I had 12-inch G.I. Joe and 10-inch Big Jim and 8-inch Migos. And then I had these Super Joes that were about 8.5 to 9 inches. And they didn't last very long. We all know that. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about Super Joe is that even though it is considered canon with G.I. Joe, it is part of that whole line, technically, there's really no history about them. I mean, this is like a, a blank canvas for us, yep. a clean slate. You know, and I know, I know the Collectors Club did a few things here and there. Uh, I believe some things came out with Cotswold and uh, Greg Brown, but... This really is a clean slate, guys. I mean, we can take this in so many different directions, it's not even funny. And I think we have a really good plot summary. We're going to connect what's going on with Super Joe to a few different timelines. We're putting this into the future, like in the year 2100. So I think it's going to work, and it's going to work well, and we're really excited about it. Now, to, for for our folks at home who who maybe don't know that much about Super Joe, and and frankly, we we excuse you because it's tough to find the information that is out there. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about the the basics of what Super Joe was in the late seventies after Adventure Team was done. Yeah, I mean, Adventure Team was done, and what I'm going to do um, um, while I'm talking, I'm going to pull up this. It, it's a really interesting piece of history. I, I'm going to show you, and I'll. Send it to you so you could show the audience as well. But um, Adventure Team is essentially, and correct me if I have my dates wrong, okay, but essentially kind of faded away in like 1976. In 1977, um, Hasbro releases what they call Super Joe. And essentially what they're doing is they're taking G.I. Joe and they're putting them into outer space. Now, again, the late 70s, right? We have Star Wars. Right. We have Space 1999. I believe, you know, Star Trek had run its course, but it was still in reruns. Star Trek, the animated series was going on in the early 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Rob? Um, yeah, the animated series. And and Mego was had a, quite, a pretty successful line of Star Trek figures. Absolutely. A hugely successful. I mean, I think they came out with four or five different waves, all kinds of play sets. You know, not only that, but James Bond went to outer space and Moonraker. Star Trek The Motion Picture came back. And Mego did 12-inch action figures of them and three and three-quarter. Disney had Black Hole. So everybody was going to outer space. So Hasbro re-releases Joe calls it Super Joe. They have uh, black and white Super Joe commanders, black and white Super Joe adventurers. They got a couple of monster-looking guys, Darkon and Gore. Gore looks like a cross between Godzilla and the creature from the Black Lagoon. 
Darkon was just Super Joe Commander repainted green with red eyes. I mean, they were really shortcutting the heck out of this line, right? Um, but they sent, and I'm looking at it on my screen, and I'll send this to you to show everybody. They sent a, a new G.I. Joe Adventure Team member letter to all of the, the team members that said, hey, we're taking Joe to outer space. G.I. Joe Adventure Team has trained a new team to use superpowers. The Super Joe Adventure Team, led by the Super Joe Commander and aided by the Night Fighters, Luminos and Shield. If you haven't seen these guys, for the people out in the audience, man, these guys were really freaking cool, okay? I mean, they they lit up, the, the chest had a beam. It was almost like Iron Man with this pulsar ray, right? Right. So... They're going to the next Super Joe Adventure, and they're answering that call anywhere in the galaxy. That was the story behind Super Joe. Now, why did they take the Joes from 12 to 8 or 8 and a half? Well, I mean, economies of scale. Um, man, it had to cost a lot of money to make 12-inch Joes back in the 70s with the oil embargoes and the right. gas shortages and the, the cost of plastic and the economy was in the tank and you know, they probably should have jumped straight to three and three quarter figures like Kenner did with Star Wars. But you know what? The timing wasn't right for those. I mean, timing in life is everything. Mm -hmm. Even though I am not a real American hero collector, I, I truly believe that G.I. Joe, a real American hero that started in what was it, 82, right? Correct. Yeah. Because I have a younger brother. He's seven years my junior. He has everything. I'm telling you, that's the single greatest toy line of all time, in my opinion. That toy line changed everything from the articulation to the amount of characters. Star Wars couldn't keep up with the amount of characters they had. Okay. And for me, the icing on the cake with, with a real American hero was the packaging. Now, if you remember, if any of you guys out in, the, out in the world out there are Star Wars collectors from back in the 70s and 80s, all of the box packaging was just simply a photograph of the toy that was on the inside. Yeah. So the box art on the, the Real American Hero was all art. It was painted. It was drawn. It was similar to what I grew up with with Mego. You know, Neil Adams did the... Uh, the 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 art for the Green Arrow car, the Captain America car, the Batmobile, it was unbelievably awesome. So when you look at what they did with a real American hero, it was a landmark achievement in toy lines at that time, and I and it still stands the test of time. Yeah, you're 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 going down the Mego hole, and and Rack Time Rob could could follow you there. Uh, yeah. And you rack, got time, rack time Rob and I are separated at birth. Yeah, <laughs> three-hour Mego show on your own. Yeah, Amen. Well, I mean, Joe went to eight inches because the Mego figures were the ones ruling the roost in the boys' action figure aisle in those days. They Star were. Wars hadn't hit because they didn't hit until a year after the movie in 78. Correct. Correct. You're absolutely right. But the funny thing about Mego was that the superhero line, which was probably the most popular line, you know, Hasbro should have seen a little bit of the writing on the wall, I think, because the last superheroes, new superheroes to come out of Mego 
were the Teen Titans in 1976. And I mean, come on, man, they were the Teen Titans. Right. You know, they weren't super popular in 1976. Rob, when did George Perez take a hold of the Teen Titans? Uh, Wolfman and Perez took over the Titans in the 80s. So, I mean, basically, right? yeah, when they when they did the Mego figures, I think in 77, they were, I mean, they were like an inch shorter and you were still dealing with the originals from the 60s. You are correct. They'd just gotten their own book back from DC, but it didn't last long. Right. I, I think there too, I think that cartoon that was out in the 60s was in syndication like i think a lot of yeah a lot of weekday yeah, the filmation cartoon yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The afternoon uh local channels were showing that superman aquaman justice league team oh yeah i think hawkman made appearances in the atom as well yeah oh yeah it's good times oh yeah great times for us old guys right <laughs> or for those of us related to old guys oh, i, I have those on now, dvd Mike. yeah <laughs> But uh, so, anyways, Austin, uh, that that's your connection to 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 Super Joe, right? Talk to us a little bit about Power Comics. What what? How did how did you decide? Oh. You know what? I'm gonna get into the the easygoing, uh, you know, lackadaisical world of comic book publishing as an independent, right? And become a millionaire, right? right. Um, well, it, it's funny because it goes back it goes back to Mego action figures again. So uh, I am one of the most prolific Mego action figure customizers in the world, okay? Uh, I have made well over 650 different customs in the Mego style. So I think Mego maybe made 28 or 32 action figures. I, I brought that number up over to 700 with all the customs that I've made, okay? And it, was be, it, and it was because when I was a kid... Like I said, Mego stopped making new characters in 75, 76. They didn't make Hawkman or Green Lantern or Daredevil or Doctor Doom. So obviously with seven, 650 or so customs, I, I was starting to run out of ideas. And I had this idea for a custom action figure based on one of my favorite uh, painters of the 20th century, Salvador Dali. I envisioned him as this, you know, crazy artist that had magic paint on his palette and he could paint whatever he wanted on a wall and whatever it was, he could jump into it and escape. It would be like a portal, kind of like, you know, dark side had portals that he would throw and, and whatnot. This guy would make a paint, uh, a painting on the wall and jump into it. And if you know anything about Salvador Dali and his surrealistic, crazy worlds of melting clocks and flaming giraffes, you know, what cop or what superhero would have the, you know, the stones to jump in there and chase after? Wiley Coyote. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Good work. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Yosemite Sam. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, I thought, you know, along the lines of the 66 Batman show and all the crazy flamboyant characters. So... I decided that I was going to make a custom action figure of this guy. I called him Sir Real Ordeal. And I loved him so much that I'm like, man, I got to make a team of these guys. So I came up with four more uh, artists that I liked in the 20th century, and I made custom action figures of them. And they were based on Ansel Adams, Keith Haring, Toulouse-Lautrec, and Rene Magritte. 
And I'm looking at these guys like, wow, these are great. I can't wait to take pictures of them and put them on the internet because that's what I do. And I'm like, well, who the hell is going to know who they are? So then I said, okay, I got to give these guys backstories. So I write backstories on these guys. Next thing I know, I'm like, oh, they need a leader. So I find this character from way, way back in time. And I say, this guy would be a perfect leader for this group. And I'm like, but when I put them out there, who the hell's going to know who these guys are, even with the backstories? Yeah, those are nice customs. The next thing I knew, I found myself writing a complete script for a story on these guys. It turned into a five-issue comic book story that emulated the old Brave and the Bold from the 70s, where Batman would have a team up with a guy, uh-huh. and they would fight a bad guy, and they'd lose, and then they'd come back and beat him in the end because they'd figure out how to beat him. Right. And I did this. I brought in a good guy. Through the power of teamwork. Right, right. I brought in a good guy to help Batman for every single guy, and they always lost, but at the end they would beat them all in a big old, you know, battle royale. So I wrote it as a Batman script. I took it to a buddy of mine who works for DC Comics at the time, Art Baltazar. You may be familiar with him and his work. Yeah. Um, Eisner Award winner, famous cartoonist, and a, a really good friend of mine for a good probably 20 years now. And he's like, wow, this script is great. The toys are great. I'm going to I'm gonna introduce you to the publisher of DC Comics when he comes into town for C2E2 in a couple weeks. Well, that publisher's name is Dan DiDio, and he was let go, like, right before C2E2 happened in February of 2020. Ugh. And COVID hit the following week. Right. And I called up Art, and I said, hey, man, who do I talk to now? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to at DC. <laughs> right. So I I sat back and I said, you know what? I could either put this script in a drawer and forget about it and say, oh, what might might have been, what could have been. Or I could do some due diligence, figure out how to start up my own comic book company and self-publish. And that's what I did. So I created the series. I called it The Masters. I called up as many people that I knew in the business, creators, writers, uh, indie comic producers, and I just picked everybody's brain and I put together a plan, and here I am. We came out, we kickstarted the Masters issues one, two, and three in the last year. Issues two and three should be uh, printed and out in the mail within the next four weeks or so. And then we'll kickstart after Super Joe, we'll kickstart Masters issue four. But the Masters and everything that goes with it is is my love letter to the Bronze Age of comics. Mm. I know Rob would really appreciate it uh, and everything that we're doing. We've Anything that was 70s, early 80s, Bronze Age related, we've done. I've made, uh, for Kickstarter, like for example, I've made uh, Halloween masks in the Ben Cooper style. Uh, I have a plastic man style character in my comic book so i made some stretch armstrong custom figures for for kickstarter uh all the all the characters in the story the six villains and the six heroes are available as custom figures in kickstarter um a jigsaw puzzle that's um reminiscent of the old uh, whitman puzzles i've got a set of 7-eleven style uh cups and on and on and on so, you know, that's that's how I got started with thing, this thing was, you know, through making custom Migos. And 
it just it just it just ballooned. And next thing I knew, I had people from all over contacting me saying, "Hey, I'm a writer. Um, I write short stories. I'm an artist. Uh, I, I can pencil. I can color. I can letter. I can do this, that, and the other thing." And it's just been amazing. I mean, every day I have new people emailing me with their resumes and portfolio saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Or can I do this? Can I do that? So it's it's been a wonderful experience. And, you know, it. I realized that it doesn't have to end with the masters. You know, originally it was like, okay, I could do this five issue comic book. Maybe I could put it together as a trade paperback when it's all over, yada, yada, yada. But then all of a sudden, all these ideas come into my head like, you know, I had this great idea for like like a Twilight Zone episode once. Why couldn't I do an anthology comic like the Twilight Zone, which I have in the works? Um, why can't I do a comic book series that, in the style of like the old Kolchak the Night Stalker? You know, with all kinds of monsters and mayhem and spirits and whatever. I've got something like that in the works, Okay. Uh, I'm a religious guy. I believe in God. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I thought, you know what? Why can't I take something like Jesus's parables and illustrate them as they appear in the Bible? Or is it how you would envision seeing them in the Bible? But then apply that to modern day with a, a real life story to show people how it really is. You know, even though it was, you know, 6,000 years ago, this stuff can happen today. Like, the Good Samaritan story, mm -hmm. or the prodigal son. You know, we see these things all the time. We just don't recognize them. Why can't I do something like that? So I'm working with people to do that. Um, the masters, we're, we're spinning off all the superheroes into individual comic books. So, you know, there's all kinds of directions to go. It's very exciting. And the Super Joe thing just landed in my lap. I was actually in negotiations with another G.I. Joe style toy line and the, the, the negotiations broke down for various reasons. I mean, no animosity between the owner of that property and me. Right. It, it just was what it was. It just, the timing wasn't right. And then all of a sudden the guys who bring super Joe back, uh, Jason Shearmeyer and Steve Stovall. Um, I'm on the phone with Jason. I've been friends with him for about 20 years, maybe longer. And he's like, Hey man, we secured the Super Joe license. I go, what? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, why don't we do a Super Joe comic book? And he's like, wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, so and I said, how much, do you want, how much do you want me to pay you for the license? He's like, can you pay me in comic books? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's where the deal stands. It's like, you know, I'm going to give you so many comic books for every so many that we sell. And, you know, knock on wood, let's hope this thing goes gangbusters and we have to rewrite that contract where, you know, I can actually give Jason and Steve some some money. You know what I mean? That would be a really good problem to have. Right. <laughs> so that's the story of Power Comics. Oh, and by the way, the name Power Comics is a tribute to the old Power Records that we used to get back in the 70s. Oh, yeah that would come with a comic book. They do 45s and 33 and a third RPM. Issue number five of the masters will be voice recorded and pressed on vinyl and come with the comic book attached. Ah, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 
you're you're just bringing the whole lifestyle back, man. Yeah. Well, well, you know, again, you have to understand, the Masters is my love letter to the Bronze Age of comics. I was born in 1969. I graduated high school in '86. Those are considered the beginning and the end of the Bronze Age of comics. So my whole life, you know, started. And, you know, my my youth, I should say, my whole youth started and ended with the Bronze Age of comics. Listen, if, if I'm going to do one thing, man, I'm going to go big or go home. And the reason why I did it is because it, it might have been the only thing that I ever did. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it all. I'm doing it exactly the way I want. And I've met so many amazing creators along this way. Um, I just started reaching out to guys. Like the first guy I reached out to was Joe Rubenstein. Joe Rubenstein, for my money, he's on the uh, Mount Rushmore of greatest uh, comic book inkers of all time. The guy is absolutely brilliant. Um, he has probably been involved in drawing more characters for Marvel, DC, and and whomever than anybody else in the history of comic books. There's no doubt. Joe Joe Rubenstein inked every character in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe back in the day to kind of he give did. everything a uniform look. You so, want to yeah, see something? He probably cool? holds the record for most characters inked. <laughs> I'm gonna try to grab. I'm gonna try to grab my camera and show you my wall over here. It is the Marvel Universe handbook, all of the covers in a four foot by four foot poster. Ah, you want me to try to do this? You connected the poster. You connected the covers. No, I didn't do it. Oh, Marvel did it. I think a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, well, I've got a question for you. Um, yes, sir? Super Joe, um, you you said before you have kind of a, a blank slate with that. You have some characters that were released uh, as action figures, but as far as the story goes, there's you can go anywhere with it. So when you're starting out a project like that from a creative perspective, I mean, how do you develop your ideas for uh, something that, has uh, has a, a group of characters, but doesn't have a lot of additional story on top of it already set up for you. Well, you know, Steve and Jason laid out what they were looking for. And, you know, they have this, this plot that, you know, was just a few sentences, maybe a paragraph or so. And it was all because, because like GI Joe adventure team, super Joe, they, they, there really weren't any individual characters. You know, everybody was called G.I. Joe. Oh, you got G.I. Joe with blonde hair or G.I. Joe with red hair or Super Joe Commander with black beard or, or whatever. It wasn't like a real American hero where you had, you know, all these individual names. Right. Uh, Duke and Scarlet. And uh, um, why am I forgetting the, 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 the ninja guy that I love? You know, those are all of them. I can't even remember any other G.I. Joe character names. So I think you, <laughs> I, that's, I, a, that's I, a good list. Gung Ho, you know, I mean, that ninja guy. Storm was, Shadow. I mean, just. His name was Tony. His name was Tony, right. He, he Tony the ninja. pizzas on the weekends. So, but you're looking at like the G.I. Joe, Super Joe line. They all look the same. So they throw this idea out there say, hey, man, why don't we do something that has to do with cloning? And it's like, oh, that's a great idea. And how about we do this? How about the world is in great shape and everything is peaceful. And then all of a sudden something bad happens 
almost kind of like uh, and when we were talking about this, I was thinking along the lines of that movie with Stallone and Wesley Snipes, um, Demolition, Demolition Man. Man. It's like, oh, everything's great until they unfreeze this guy, right? Well, everything is great until Darkon and Gore show up. And the world doesn't know what to do. But there's this group of scientists who are like, man, we were experimenting on these guys years ago. We named him Super Joe. Maybe we need to bring these guys out of hibernation. And then everything takes off from there. And, you know, the, the, the big reveals are going to be who's really behind Darkon and Gore. Um, where did the cloning come from? Who was doing the experiments? And, you know, why does Darkon look so much like Super Joe Commander? And so <laughs> on and so forth. So... The story has really written itself. I mean, it was there. It was there to be had for the last 35, 40, no, 45 years. I, I think that's a really unique take uh, because in 1982, the real American hero figures that came out, there were some clones there. Um, they, they reused a lot of heads and, uh, you know, a lot of guys looked alike. But in the comic books and in the, in the cartoon, they kind of ran away from that. They tried to individualize them but you've got a situation where you've got some guys that look alike but you're kind of running with that you're you're using that as uh, an inspiration for the story right and the story takes place in uh, two, uh 2100 so 2100 and you know we're sitting here and we're brainstorming it's like well if if we want to make it like it's the clones started being experimented with in like the late 70s and 80s you know, maybe we give these guys like little like flashbacks in their own head. Like, why do I, why do I all of a sudden feel like I want to sleep in a bed with Star Wars bed sheets or something? You know, <laughs> we're just like spitball and stuff. You know, you know what? What's why do all of a sudden I, I have this urge to like play on this thing called a sit and spin or or whatever it might be or ride a big wheel or something goofy? You know, uh, things that aren't aren't available anymore so you know you're going through your head well what what's back then that isn't now you know a, a, a phone with a cord on it you know you're just making lists of things that maybe we could put this typewriters yeah what did you say typewriters typewriters exactly why is exactly. my definition of luxury the chrysler cordova <laughs> i mean i tried to join live streams with my grandmother's rotary phone and the honestly the yeah, the resolution is awful. Absolutely yeah. terrible, I hear. You have to get through all the... Right. <laughs> words with lots of lies. Oh, my God. You guys are killing me. <laughs> We've heard that before. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the story, it just kind of unfolded itself. And, you know, I have to give credit to Steve and Jason for coming up with the, the basic plot outline. And then uh, my creative partner, Scott Pierce, and I, you know, we just sat down and we started banging out how we want this thing to flow. You know, it's like, where do we want this to start? Where do we want it to end? So, you know, issue one is essentially, you know, the, the lead up to, holy cow, what is going on here? And we get images of Gore. We get images of Darkon. Shield and Luminos. I mean, everybody just comes out of the woodwork. And, you know, there's so many characters 
there's so much to explain. I mean, we could probably do a really solid five or six issue story just on the origins of everything. And from there, we figure it out. Hopefully we get that far. Hopefully we fund issue number one. Right. You know, I, I am passionate about Super Joe. Okay. Steve and Jason are passionate about it. That doesn't mean that it's a great idea. We, we have to fund this thing. We've made the conscious decision to not go forward with all of the art and all this extra stuff until we know that there's enough people out there who demand this comic book. But we think there's going to be people. We've got some, some surprises coming. We're going to let people know some things about what we're doing. Um, uh, maybe some secret creators that are going to join the team that I will let uh, people know about that will people will be like, wow, man, that really legitimizes what you're doing. So fingers are crossed. What did, what did Hulk Hogan always say? Say your prayers to take your vitamins. Right. Yeah. Doing a lot of that too. I think your timing may be pretty good. Um, a few years ago, yeah, not a lot of people were talking about Super Joe. And I, my recollection is that Carson from 3D Joe's grabbed some Super Joe's and uh, started posting a bit about them. Um, got people interested in something that uh, a lot of Joe fans maybe don't know uh, very much about. But now it seems like um, the prices on Super Joe vintage figures are going up. The interest is uh, is increasing so uh, i think you you guys are striking while the iron is hot yeah we um we put as one of the um rewards or add-ons excuse me it was a it was a reward excuse it was a reward level um uh offer for a backer was a vintage carded super joe commander um you get a comic book along with the vintage carded super joe commander we all know how well those are still intact right yeah, and I, put, I did notice it looked like he was missing his hands, which is common. They're, right. They're all missing their hands. Right. Um, truth in advertising, though, right? I'm not like lying about yeah. it. Yeah. But that was one of the first things to go, and it went for 300 bucks. I believe so, it. You know, who would pay 300 bucks for something that's broken? There just aren't that many of them out there, right? There yeah. Just aren't yeah. That many of them uh, out yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, the, the toy line only lasted for a year, so there's not a lot. And then the fact that they, you know, you know, that most of them had disintegrated by 1983. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. But but let's yeah. let, let's pivot a little bit. Let's take a look at the campaign itself. Yeah. Uh, you got this one started. At, you were at Joe Fest. I was. June 8th. Uh, and you're already about halfway home on a $10,000 goal. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're a week in as of today. And I believe we're at about 4900 and some change. Yep. 49.26. So yeah, 49.26. you're only about like 75 bucks away from halfway. Yeah. I mean, if you told me we would be halfway in a week, I would have said I'd be surprised at that because again, this isn't GI Joe adventure team. This isn't a real American hero. This is super Joe. This is the redheaded stepchild. And I'm really, I'm really excited about that. And we still haven't done as many, um, live streams or podcasts that I have set up. We still haven't announced all of the creators that are working with us. Um, you know, and, and also we, we have a, a bunch of guys that uh, are on social media that are friends of ours that have really big followings that had even, haven't even put it out to their fans yet. So I think we're in good shape. You know, again, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all that stuff. 
man, the, the stuff that we have, though, I'm, I'm looking at it, you know, vintage stuff, vintage carded action packs, vintage carded suits and outfits. We've got original art. We've got autographs. Um, you know, I, I, I forgot to mention Nitho Diaz and Thiago Gomez from Brazil are on our team. And they did a bunch of uh, G.I. Joe covers uh, for IDW. Um, autograph. I'm sorry. Interiors, too. With uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so there's vintage stuff. We're, we have um, action figure sets of the, the new commanders and the new adventurers. Um, autographed uh, original art from Stephen Butler, who's doing all the interiors. When uh, I don't know if you guys know Stephen, but he's probably most famous for doing Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, he did some Spider-Man stuff. Silver Sable, he was really big with that. And when he saw that that we were going to do Super Joe, I mean, he was just like all over me. He's like, because he did the cover for the first issue of the Masters. And he's like, Austin, man, I have to do this. He started doing sketches and stuff to show me what he was doing. He's like, Austin, I could do this. I could do this like big John Buscema style and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hey, you know what, Steve? You're in. Uh, Steven's one of the hardest working men in comic books. There's no doubt. You know, he is all over the place and his quality is just amazing. So, you know, agreeing to have him do the comic book interior art was a no brainer of all no brainers. And, and, and he, he, he'll show you how great he is because he, he loves the, the subject matter. That's the thing about Steven. It's like, he's not going to draw something he doesn't like, or doesn't even love this guy. I mean, he, he rattled off like eight pages before I could even say, stop, I need to look at the first one. Right. <laughs> just just fantastic. So we have original art from him. Um, Bob Hall, Jeff Isherwood, and Stephen agreed to do um, uh, sketch cards for people. So you can get sketch cards of any of the Super Joe characters. You're going to get two sketch cards. I thought this was really cool. You get a sketch card of a Super Joe character, and then a sketch card of one of six other characters that um, were, were, were picked by that artist. So, like, for example, uh, Jeff Isherwood is doing sketch cards. And let me see what's on his list. Jeff Isherwood. So you can get one of the Super Joe characters. So S.H.I.E.L.D., Luminos, Super Joe Commander, Darkon, right, Gore. But you pick one out of this list as well. Namor, which... If you ever seen Jeff Fisherward's Namor, I mean, it is the quintessential Namor. Doctor Strange, another one of Jeff's. Conan, and then he's got Snake Eyes, Gung Ho, and Cobra Commander. So, you know, I'm thinking most people are going to pick one of the a real American hero characters. But again, that's up to them, right? So just so many cool things. And I think the coolest thing that we've got going on and this is just me, and maybe I'm a little biased because I came up with this idea. But we have these alternate covers, right? So if we reach a certain threshold, a certain stretch goal, like, for example, 15 grand, Brian Shearer is going to make an alternate cover for us, right? Brian Shearer is just an amazing artist. And we're doing this the same for Ron Joseph and also Robert Atkins. But here's where we're different than everybody else. If we reach that threshold, and somebody decides to add on that original cover from Brian or Robert or Ron, they not only are going to get that original cover, 
right, for that add-on price, they get to work with the artist to determine what the cover is going to look like. Nice. They get to pick the characters they want on it, how the scene is laid out, within reason, of course. Right. right? But you, if, if Brian Shear is your favorite artist, or Robert Atkins or Ron Joseph, and you want to pay the cost of that original artwork, guess what? You get to say have something to say in the creative process of that cover. Right. Cre creative cool. input's a thing. How cool is that? So now all of a sudden we do that alternate cover, and whoever helped you know create that can say to everybody, "Yeah, man, I, I this is my design. I worked with uh, Robert Atkins to to do this." I think that's pretty cool. It, it really it is. It, it, you don't get that opportunity very often. Yeah. Projects like this. Yep. And I went to I went to Ron, Brian, and Robert, and I said, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing," and they were like, "We're all in." All three of them, not even hesitation. Yeah. Well, you, you're dropping some names that will be familiar to uh, the, the viewers of this show, some names that uh, have done great work in Real American Heroes. So uh, I, I think it's fantastic that they're in. Also, uh, because a lot of uh, What's on Joe Mind's audience will know these guys, they got a pretty good idea of what the quality of their work is. So that gives us a hint at uh, what we can expect from the Super Joe comics. So I think that's a really positive thing. A lot of these, a lot of uh, folks here in the GI Joe community, we've seen their artwork for a long time. So uh, that's got to be really exciting uh, to see them connected with the Super Joe project. Yeah, I, you know, again, and I owe it all to the real American hero fans. You know, <laughs> they, they, you know what? Honestly, God bless them. I, I had some people be like, "Who the hell are you?" Uh, you know, what have you ever done? Don't screw this up. And I'm like, okay, I'm not even getting ARAH, but you know what? I'm going to take your advice. I, I want people out there to know that I listen to them, you know? And, you know, the, the only thing cooler for me would have if John Busima was still alive and I was able to get him to draw Super Joe and get Jim Brown to color it for him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That would have been perfect. Um, but, you know, I, everybody was so passionate about a real American hero. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, I can definitely listen to these people. I mean, who wouldn't want to see all of this, you know, the Bronze Age style merged with the, the stylistics of a 2023 comic book? I think we're going to get the best of both worlds with Super Joe. No pun intended. At least they care. Absolutely. So that, and and I'm happy that you took that that uh, bulwark of accidental marketing, and and you've taken the that momentum and you've tried to turn it into something to make your project even better. Well, I, I appreciate. You got a spotlight, and you said, "Hey, wait a minute. Here's some more stuff." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, first of all, you know, I think we mentioned this earlier. No publicity is bad publicity. Right. But it's no. It's 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 only bad publicity if you don't listen to it you know if there are lessons to be learned and as i'm watching the the ticker roll on twitter i'm like you know what man there are some lessons to be learned here yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I again i think this is an amazing idea i think super joe 
for me, it's the bee's knees, right? What a great opportunity that landed in my lap. But if I don't take into account the people who are spending the money, you know, it's kind of like winking at somebody in the dark. You know what you're doing, but nobody else does, right? Because nobody's buying your stuff. Right. I want to produce something that the public likes. I mean, I can make anything for myself and just, you know, look at it, you know, every day and say, oh, I love this and I'm the only one. But I want to make something that not only do I love, but other people love. I think that's 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 an important thing. And so uh, to bring it back to the campaign, if you're interested in the Super Joe Unlimited campaign, five bucks gets you in the door, so to speak. Correct. That, that is a digital copy of, of Super Joe number one, just five dollars. That, that's all it takes to get to get uh, this this work at its at its basic. Uh, if you want a printed copy, it goes up to ten. Do you also get the the digital copy with the the ten dollar? No, you have to buy those separately. Okay, all right. Um, and then so it goes from there. There's retailer incentives if you're buying in bulk. If you happen to to have a comic store or want to get a, a bunch of copies to to pass out to friends and loved ones, which is absolutely okay. <laughs> um, now now there are some some uh some larger pledge packages on that uh, on that campaign. Toys. yeah the toys uh, that's what i wanted to talk about with you a little bit here explain the the toys that you've got as as part of your your pledges there well this super joe adventure guy here yeah so we've got what's called the sting of the scorpion adventure set so uh, you know, back in the Super Joe days, they had all kinds of adventure sets. They would come with like a shark or they would come with a giant spider or something like that. Well, the guys at Super Joe Unlimited Toys said, hey, we're doing a Sting of the Scorpion set. Why don't we give it to you for your Kickstarter? We'll do a limited run of 15. And I think as of now, there's only three left. So you better jump on and get this fast. It's it's $100. You get the set. It comes with the scorpion, the action figure, a little tiny sapphire. I guess that's what the scorpion is supposed to be stealing. And there's this really cool case. So a lot of cool stuff that comes with that. Um, God, man, there, there's so many things. I've got um, a couple guys doing some really cool 3D work. Oh, that's pretty cool. Right? <laughs> you, guys, you guys know Jim Egner? Uh, we do not, or I don't anyway. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if Brian does or not. I'm, well, not. I'm not in charge of Brian's social calendar anymore. That didn't work out. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, he's got his own Etsy store, and he made this little uh, night surveillance equipment tester. This is an add-on for forty bucks. We've got a, a set of four Super Joe Commanders uh, for one hundred and fifty, with complete with accessories for. Adventurers for 150, complete with accessories. One of the things that I really love is the option to have yourself drawn into the comic book as a character. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, that $350 gets you five comic books and yourself drawn in as a character. You guys know Randy Wall up in uh, up in Canada. No. He does a lot. He does a lot of DIY cardboard stuff that goes through Cotswold. Okay. He did a couple of uh, DIY sets for us. He did a um, a command chair for Super Joe. It kind of looks like Captain Kirk's 
uh, command chair on Star Trek. That's really awesome. It rotates 180 degrees. And the cool thing about these things, it's all do-it-yourself, and it's all cardboard pieces, kind of in the uh, kind of in the spirit of the old Miko playset, right. right? Right. Where you would just you would unfold everything, and they would kind of piece together. So he's got the 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 command center uh, chair, and then he's got this really cool Super Joe launch pad. One of the accessories that Super Joe had when we were kids was this helipack. And I know Adventure Team had something similar for the 12 inch. Mm -hmm. So it's got this control center where one Joe can, you know, program everything. And he's got this launch pad where you can take the helipack up. It's it's pretty cool. You know, everything, everything is really geared towards the toy line and making the, the toy line fun and everything is an exclusive to the Kickstarter. And it's just a blast. It's just a blast. If really, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say it really is, and, and you've I'm I'm really uh, admire how you've gone through just painstaking efforts to just keep that aesthetic, like everything looks like it belongs together. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That that's one of the things that um, I guess is a little OCD on my part, maybe. Um, you know, again, you guys know that I'm a Migo guy. So the, the reason why I loved Migos so much was because I could put the Duke boys along with the superheroes, along with the Planet of the Apes, along with Star Trek, and they all look like they belong. That's a pretty cool thing, right? And the parts were interchangeable. So it's the same with this. Um, a toy line that does that so perfectly well right now, which is a toy line I don't like the aesthetic of, but I love the concept are those Funko Pops. Yeah. You know, I could literally buy a Funko Pop set of, you know, Marty McFly and, uh, and uh, uh, what's his face, Dr. Brown, right, from Back to the Future, and put them right next to a couple of Star Trek Funko Pops, and they all look like they go together. And then I can throw Deadpool in there as well, and who would know the difference? Hey, I might even throw in Felix the Cat and Woody Woodpecker. I think that that kind of interchangeability now is is hot uh, with like independent uh, toy makers. We've got a lot of guys doing uh, the three and three quarter inch O ring, who are kind of hitting for that same thing. Like you can put these next to your O ring figures from the eighties, and they fit. And I think so. I think that kind of interchangeability and that compatibility with what al already exists that is uh, something that. Um, I think it's really smart uh, because it can bring in uh, those collectors of those older properties and those vintage toys. Right. And I also wanted to say that um, even though in the past Super Joe has been kind of a sort of a forgotten Joe line or Joe property, that's starting to change. And there are a lot of G.I. Joe fans who are very interested in the history of the brand. So, you know, Super Joe as a legacy G.I. Joe brand is getting more interest now. And I think you will find a lot of fans of earlier G.I. Joe, 60s and 70s, and later G.I. Joe, 80s and 90s, uh, who are very interested in this. Because, yeah, in the past, we didn't know very much about it, but that is starting to change and interest is increasing. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. You know, if you if you go back into the 70s when we were kids, um, a lot of toy companies were following 
Migos leave. Like LJN came out with SWAT and the rookies and emergency mm-hmm. and that line. I personally think that those action figures from LJN are the best action figure bodies ever made. They came with swivel arms. They, they, they were just ahead of their game. And even to this day, the elastic stringing inside of them still holds up. Yeah. I will find I will find loose sets of those guys like at like at Joe Fest or on eBay. And when I get them and I look at them, the the, the elastic string, which should have disintegrated somewhere around 1987, right, is still intact. <laughs> and it wasn't just LAN, Lincoln, AHI, Remco. I mean, all those companies, they followed Migos lead. So it was kind of cool. You could get like universal monsters and they might hang out with your planet of the apes they might hang out with your uh swat team or whatever back then right yeah and there were companies that would make stuff to go with like you know world's greatest superheroes and stuff like that you You are correct even if you just did Mego, that was how many different properties and they all belong together yeah you could get batman mr spock and dr zayas and they look like they belong right they were going to a tea party or something Migo, I mean, there are still tons of Migo fans. There are still uh, thriving Migo collector groups out there, and I think they're bringing in more fans. I've got some new stuff out, so I think mm-hmm. it's really awesome that you're hitting that niche uh, because I, I think that's actually picking up. I think there are new fans coming into that Migo style. Um, and you know, you can bring in some GI Joe fans uh, as well with the Super Joe property. I think it's really exciting. I appreciate that. I'm really excited for it. Hey, I really quick while I'm thinking about it, because I don't want to forget about some of the things I want to show you guys. I just want to show you a couple things I picked up at Joe Fest that we may or may not put on as add-ons uh, for the Super Joe Kickstarter. It all depends. First, um, you guys can see this beautiful Robert Atkins autograph cover. Very nice. Then I picked up this uh, next Robert Atkins autograph cover. See, one of the reasons I went down to Joe Fest was to actually meet all these guys that I had talked to on the phone and convinced to join our team. Here's a really nice one. This is Brian Shear and Larry Hama both autographing this one. Mm. Um, Larry is up here, and I believe Brian is right here. Not too shabby, huh? That's yeah. fantastic. And then uh, my prize possession, which, um, man, it took me a while to find this in decent shape. I don't want to tell you what I paid for it, but uh, <laughs> I'll just say that it's Enough. And we're not asking. It's okay. <laughs> but the actual Marvel Treasury Edition, big size of Super Joe 1. Oh, and that's gorgeous. Larry, Larry autographed it right there in the middle. Yeah, That's fantastic. That is a beaut. That yeah. is a hard one to track down because, you know, it'd just be sitting in racks, kids flipping through and getting beat to hell before anyone would buy it. You know, that that has to be why they stopped making them. The, the ones that I had from my childhood. Now, I, I think I told you before the show that I have every Marvel Treasury edition now and every DC special collector's edition, you know, the jumbo size ones. Yeah. Except for one, and that's the Bible. And I used to have that, but I gave it to a friend of mine as a gift. Um, but I remember as a kid, almost all of my big size comic books like this, almost all of my Migos were purchased through Hero Headquarters in New Jersey. 
Do you guys remember oh, yeah, Heroes that? World? Mm-hmm. Heroes World, right. The old the Heroes World, comics. right. Heroes World in New Jersey. <laughs> I mean... Again, you're you're living in the Racktime Rob wheelhouse, man. I I still have some of them, um, you know, here and yeah, I've got the uh, the Superman celebrates the bicentennial, which is the biggest fake out in comic history, because right. Superman's on the cover and it's just a bunch of tomahawk stories. Right. <laughs> that well, one's in really good condition. Do you remember? Because <laughs> nobody bought, nobody read it. Do you remember? The Heroes World magazines, the comic books that you would order from? Um, I I never ordered anything out of there myself because I was really young. I mean, looking at those things. But I remember the ads, and I know that they had the, the catalogs you could mail away for. There's my uh, my Super Joe Unlimited cover behind me, autographed by Bob Hall. Nice. But, but the the in the in the Heroes World catalogs, they made their own superhero called Snyder Man. He had this goofy helmet, an S yeah. on his chest. And I think it was because the owner, his last name was Snyder. Well, a few years ago, when we were still holding what we called Mego Meat, and we would have an exclusive Mego Meat action figure, one year, one of those years, probably five years ago now, maybe six, uh, the guy who, who whose turn it was to come up with the character said, I want to make Snyder Man. In, a, in, in, a, in an action figure form. And I'm like, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. You have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, honestly, I thought it was a terrible idea. But when it was finished, it could be my favorite custom Mego in my collection. And I own two of them. I I, I got one for myself because everybody who did something for the project got one. And then I bid at the auction for the variant Snyder Man figure, which I partially <laughs> made myself an exorbitant amount of money to get it. I had I had done really well at Mego Meat making money. And I'm like, I don't care what that things go for. Bid me up. I don't care. And I, I bought it. So I have two of that custom figure, the original version and the alternate version. Very nice. That's awesome. Heroes World was near and dear to my my uh, my heart. I mean, my father would order stuff out of that all the time for me, and I'd get everything in the mail. I always had those brown mailer boxes on all my toys. <laughs> the direct to consumer box. Yeah, right? like it was. It was a little bit after I had disposable income, but I used to just sit and read read Rob's old comics and and just be like, "Wow, what a what a place that must be." <laughs> all that cool crap just laying around it's yeah selling it to yeah no it, it just it it uh it was a mythical place yeah i think my uh my treasury editions came from the uh the big uh the big magazine rack at woolworths so oh yeah <laughs> absolutely but but you're right those things the reason why they stopped making them from what i've been told is that there was just there was no way to store them you know, yeah. a bag and a card, you know, a bag and a backer. Um, and they were really difficult to sell. You you also have to remember back in that time frame, there really weren't comic book stores back in the 70s per se. Right. And the yeah. reason why there weren't comic book stores as we know them is because 
there wasn't that much of an inventory to open up a store that only sold comic books. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, late 70s, early 80s, now you've got 20 years worth of Marvel and DC, not to mention other stuff that was coming out, magazines and whatever. Parties, um, even, you know. Right, right. So the, the comic books were relegated to spinner racks. That's why we have spinner racks. The first comic book I ever bought was uh, Defenders number 18. My grandmother gave me 50 cents. I live in suburban Chicago. And at the time, we lived, you know, right outside the city limits. And we lived right off of one of the busiest streets in Chicago. I was no more than five years old. And she gave me 50 cents to go to the store to get uh, the five and dime, the drugstore, to get a 25 cent comic book and a 25 cent candy bar. <laughs> I probably walked as a five year old boy on one of the busiest streets in Chicago, Route 34, Ogden Avenue. I probably walked from my grandmother's house to that uh, that that uh, pharmacy three quarters of a mile. Right. Five years old. On like a busy four-lane, you know, interstate interstate highway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I did that. I, I, it's a miracle we made it home, but that was like a regular thing yeah. when uh, when I was a kid. Yeah, it was a regular thing. Oh. So I, the candy bar I bought, a marathon bar. Do they even make those anymore? They do not. Cadbury Schweppes makes something similar. I think it's called the Whirly Burly or the Curly Burly, but it's it's very small compared. Like the Marathon bar, bar had to be like length of a Charleston chew. It had to be like twelve inches. Yeah, it was like because it would last all day. It's what they call right. The it lasts a good long time, and there was a ruler printed on the back label. The reason why those things went out of business here's a true story for you, is because back in the day. They were too big to fit in candy machines. Huh. They couldn't put them in vending machines. Everything was the size of a Milky Way or a Snickers. Uh, conformity is the man. That's right. Conform or die. <laughs> At all, we must continue to rebel against the man. Yeah, well, yeah, those treasuries didn't fit on spinner racks. And no. if you put them in the magazine rack... That was a low, that was kind of like a low ticket item taking up a lot of space. Right. Absolutely. Which is kind of what got comics into comic book shops anyway, because they were taking up space on magazine racks, selling for, you know, 25, 30, 35 cents up against magazines that you'd be selling for like a dollar, two dollars. Correct. Absolutely correct. As we pull into the home stretch, Austin, is there anything that we don't know about this, this campaign that we should know? going in is it what have we not covered here man i i think we've covered everything the kickstarter is on there's still a bunch of really awesome stuff available the comic book the artist team i mean you, you take a look at the the list of artists i mean it's it's hard to put together a list this good there's something for everybody here i mean stephen butler nitho diaz jim brown Justin Birch on letters. Bob Hall did the cover. Um, I'm writing the story with Scott Pierce. Thiago Gomez. I mean, most of these guys have G.I. Joe roots. Thiago, Robert Atkins, Ron Joseph, Brian Shearer, Jeff Isherwood, who worked on uh, G.I. Joe for Marvel back in the 80s. So, right. you know, 
the the plot summary, the storyline, I think is going to be captivating. There's going to be a ton of action, a ton of Easter eggs, a ton of tributes, a ton of twists and turns. I think there's somebody, there's something in this comic book for everybody. The toys are amazing. Um, Super Joe Unlimited toys are producing. Uh, hopefully toys that won't like, you know, disintegrate in the packaging in five or 10 years, like the old Hasbro's did. <laughs> I'm pretty confident of that. But Jason and Steve at Super Joe Unlimited, they have their heart and soul in this. You know, they, they are committed to making this successful and to making this the best product they can. Um, I, 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 I cross brand in there, Austin. If, if somebody's interested in the Super Joe toys, where can they go to find those? Well, they can go to if they go to Facebook uh, or, or any social media, I pretty much I'm pretty sure they're on Instagram as well. You just do a search for Super Joe Unlimited and you will find uh, their Facebook page and they will direct you to where you can get the, the, the action figures and, and the accessories and stuff like that. Some are available through uh, their um, their stores on eBay or through their websites. But the best way to do it is Super Joe Unlimited on Facebook, and that will connect you to everywhere you need to go, or Instagram. They're also on Instagram. And I will vouch that those uh, those toys are really cool. I did get to see them in person. They look really sweet, so definitely check those out. Yeah, and they're coming out with all kinds of like uh, outfit variations, which, which is fantastic. You know, if you looked at the outfits from back in the, the 70s, they would distinguish uniforms by like the sleeves, like the sleeves and the collar would be blue and the body would be black or green with black or red with black. Well, they're doing all of that. They've got orange and yellow and a white body with red sleeve. They're doing all kinds of variations. These guys are committed to this, this, uh, this toy line. But uh, Austin Huff, Power Comics, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. It has been all mine, guys. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yo, Joe. All right. Thanks for coming on, Austin. Super Joe. Remember, Yo, Super Joe. Get yourself over to Kickstarter. Uh, check, uh, type in search for Super Joe Unlimited. Uh, issue number one should come up for you right there. First first result in the search. Um, five bucks gets you in. $10 puts a copy in your hand. Support it today. You got uh, 25, 26 days left to go. Uh, when we're recording this, so still a good three weeks by the time I get this posted. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today, Austin. Uh, for my co-hosts, uh, Brian and and Rob, I'm Mike Irizarry. This has been What's on Joe Mind. We'll catch you again next Tuesday for the team stream. Yo, Joe. <laughs>